And I remember uh, one of my teammates, uh, Bryce Butler, was like, you might want to stop doing good at safety. What do you mean? They might, <laughs> they might move you. And I'm like, they're not moving me to safety. I'm a 230-pound quarterback. I'm, I don't mm. know the last time I played defense, you know. And that's what ended up happening. Once we went to the star, I remember I, I brought my um, breakfast up to the QB room. And uh, Coach Linehan at the time, his offensive coordinator at the time, was like, hey, Coach Garrett wants to see you. I'm like, I don't even need breakfast. I'm about to get cut, you know. So it was one of those <laughs> things where I'm like, all right, cool. I go see Coach Garrett, and he was like, hey, you know, you've been doing really well at safety. Um, you know, I think we're going to move you to safety. And I laughed at him. And, and you know, it's one of those things where you're, like, laughing. You're like, <laughs> and he's like, ranked. straight face. And I'm like, oh, you're serious. Welcome to Business Blind Spots a podcast where we learn from founders, entrepreneurs, and business experts about the challenges, obstacles, and barriers that they've overcome and successfully navigated. So you can take that away and apply that to your business. Today's guest is Jamel Showers. How are you doing? Doing well, man. Awesome. I'm very excited for this podcast. Um, thank you for coming on. Um, can you kind of give our viewers and listeners a little bit of an overview? I know right now you're a luxury real estate agent. Mm -hmm. Um, can you tell us about your background and kind of how you got to this position? Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, born and raised in Texas to, uh, teachers and coaches. My dad is a football coach. My mom, she coached volleyball and basketball. So entrenched in sports, uh, I was born out in West Texas, moved what I call my hometown is Colleen, Texas. Um, pretty much found my way in football, um, got recruited, um, and ended up going to Texas A&M. Got into a quarterback battle and lost that to Johnny Manziel, obviously. So I was a little bit older than him and figured that was my time to go. So I transferred to UTEP, way out in West Texas. Um, got picked up as a free agent with the Cowboys. Played five years there, played uh, quarterback and safety. And then um, once I got out, ended up going into medical device sales. And that led me pretty much to luxury real estate. So you uh, you played football at one of the biggest stadiums in college football, right? Mm -hmm. What's that see, like 90,000? Yeah, ninety thousand feels like two hundred thousand. It sounds like two hundred thousand is what I should say. <laughs> I can only imagine. Like, yeah. that's the home of the twelfth man, right? Yep. I mean, yep. I always tell people there's two Colts in Texas. One is the Marine Corps, and one is the Crimson Colt. You know, yep. otherwise known as A and M Aggies. Hundred percent. Awesome. I'm. I'm. Uh, I've accepted that now. I'm part of the cult. Yeah. <laughs> I used to like try to fight that, but now I'm like, eh, own I'm it. Kind of. Yeah. I'm just in it now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if I had gone to AM, everyone would know about it. I'd probably oh, have yeah. an AM tattoo on my forearm that I'd accidentally flash people or something. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> but, um, okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. You just kind of, you, you, uh, touched it on it briefly. Well, let's, yeah. uh, let's, let's, uh, jump into it. So, um, if you talk to an, an A&M fan mm -hmm. or a person that was in school at the time, like you were, you were the next superstar, right? Yes. I mean, you yeah. don't pretty you, much. I was in line. Yeah. You were in line. So yeah. what happened with all that? What happened with Johnny Manziel? Um, because no one knew who that guy was. Right. And so, yeah, yeah it was, it, what happened with it, it? It's kind of a it's a loaded question because nobody really knew because he was from a small town on mm -hmm. Kerrville. Um, I ended up watching his highlight tape whenever I, you know you just, you just want to see who the competition is coming in and um, he was making kids look silly to be honest with you. So um, mm -hmm. I got recruited by Mike Sherman. Um, I was sitting behind Ryan Tannehill, Gerard Johnson, and then uh, Johnny comes in and we have this pro style offense. Uh, well. We end up having a pretty tough season. Mike Sherman's last season. They fire him. Uh, in comes um, Kevin Sumlin. 
Mm-hmm. So he had been recruiting uh, Johnny to U of H. He was at U of H before. Uh, once he came in, it pretty much was Johnny's – actually, really, both of our skill sets fit that offense really, really well. Um, we go into that battle, and it's pretty much neck and neck. And then I felt like I, through scrimmages, I kind of started to take the upper hand. Now, I want to preface this by saying that Johnny Manziel was not being Johnny Manziel while in you know our fall camp. Uh, so, I don't know. It's kind of a, it came as a surprise to me. It was a tough. It was a tough thing for me because I pretty much like if you'd asked me when I was 12 years old, I was going to go start for four years at a college, which that didn't happen. Uh, and then I was going to go to the pros. And right now, I should be working on my gold jacket to be in the Hall of Fame, to be a Hall of Fame quarterback. So obviously, yeah. life took a turn there. But um, once he got into the game, who played um, played Florida, and it was one of those performances where it's like you could you could see flashes. Um, but it still, to me, wasn't something that was like, I, I shouldn't have, or I didn't get a shot. I should have gotten a shot, in my opinion, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but we ended up having the game get canceled versus La Tech, and then I believe the next game was Arkansas, and he ended up throwing for like five touchdowns, like 520-something yards, and I was like, well, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you're if you're realistic, yeah. I was like, that was, a, <laughs> that was a great game. So, you know, the next week comes out, does the same thing, and then he just ends up, you know, like we see on the documentaries and all, you know, highlight tapes is pretty much just a highlight tape every single game. And uh, the writing was on the wall. You know, I was like very aware of the situation and that was tough for me that I needed to go ahead and transfer. So what is that like? What's that thought process like for you whenever you kind of have to pivot very quickly? Mm-hmm. Um, how did you decide on where to transfer? Mm-hmm. And did you have to battle for the starting spot there also? Yeah. So that was a tough it was tough for me. So whenever they made the decision, it was it was the Friday before the first week of the season. So when we would have been preparing for Florida, it pretty much everybody comes down, you take a knee and everybody's like, hey, we decided our, our starting quarterback is going to be Johnny Manziel. And I was pissed um, at the time because he's it's, it's in a documentary, so I'm not outing anything, but he had gotten into some trouble. I was leading uh, in seven on seven, like the summer workouts, going every workout, not missing anything. I was I was the leader of the team did really well in some of the scrimmages. Uh, actually, really all of the scrimmages I did really well. So, like, the team was pretty split. Now, keep in mind, I didn't know what Johnny was was capable of, obviously, during the season. So, um, I went up and talked to Coach Kingsbury, and he pretty much was like, man, this, you know, wasn't my decision. It's the head coach's decision. Um, and, you know, you just keep on, you know, pressing forward. He's like, you're a great, great kid, great quarterback. And I was wearing my emotions on my sleeve. I was real, honestly, really, really pissed. So, that was a big um, identity check for me. Mm-hmm. Um that's kind of whenever my face started to, to step in, uh, you know, looking back on it, that's whenever the Lord really got my attention, mm-hmm. um, you know, born and raised in sports and football. I mean, as a football coach, I mean, that's all I really, that's all I knew. I didn't handle it initially very well. Um, but then there was just, you know, through going through, uh, going to like church, um, kind of getting some, some counseling, uh, just discipleship, things like that. I basically was like, I, I need to bet on myself. And that's that's kind of where I took a turn. Uh, now, at the time, there wasn't the NIL, you know, the transfer portal, all that. So I had to go take 21, uh, take I think I took two extra classes and then graduated early. So I didn't have to miss out a year, sit out a year. And then uh, during the recruiting process, it was U of H, UTEP. And the, the way we chose UTEP was the the, the director of operations uh, for players. He was my dad's position coach whenever he was in college so it was just kind of a familiar face because mm-hmm. like, hey you'll come out here you'll start right away now i did have to battle that out uh, whenever i got there um but that was just i mean that was something i was expecting anywhere you go there's gonna be some competition so i wasn't yeah. too afraid of that 
that must be uh i can only imagine how hard that that was to to manage but there had to be a like a thought process right so the thought process it sounds like you you just kind of leaned into your faith and then just leaned into the next best option mm-hmm. was your dad a big a big part of that decision making process for you yeah he was i mean he pretty much handled all of my recruiting out of high school as well i mean being a coach he put all the highlight mm-hmm. tapes and stuff together so he may start making calls uh with just connections that he had had and you really the thought process during that whole time was I know what I'm capable of as a quarterback and I know I should be starting somewhere. And if it's not here, it's going to be somewhere else. So Mm. that pretty much was just, you know, talking to him, um, you know, really the option was Johnny's a year younger than me, maybe chance, chance it that he enters the draft early, which would give me one year to start at A&M or go bet on myself and start for two years and, and, you know, really just take matters into my own hands. And that's, that's what I decided to do. Now, obviously that connection with UTEP was, was through my dad and, uh, um, Sean Kugler was a coach at the time, new coach. Um, so he was bringing in a whole new system, a whole new, um, mindset to UTEP. And, uh, I don't know, I took one visit and that's pretty much it. Awesome. Yep. So what was the process like from going there to pro? So whenever I went there, honestly, it was kind of depressing because you get like A&M is, you know, the, one of the best fan bases in the world, really the best, mm-hmm. obviously, if you're in the cult and, uh. <laughs> I so mean, it's not TCU, but we'll let it slide. You know, TCU's coming up. <laughs> I'm, I'm becoming a fan now that I live closer to Fort Worth. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll um, send you a purple pillow. Don't worry. Yeah, I'll get I you won't. There. It won't be posted anywhere, but I'll, <laughs> I'll accept it. At least once a year, you gotta wear it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I got you. I got you. Um, so went to UTEP, and it's like the trees and grass started to die down into dirt. And I guess I just I was I was born in West Texas, but it was just like, wow, it's like literally everything is dying as I'm going out here. So it's kind of depressing. Mm. Um, it's it's not a football school. It's more of a basketball school. Um, mm-hmm. But while we were there, we started to build it up. First year was awful. I ended up um, spraining my AC joint, missing mm-hmm. half the season. Actually, it was the week right before we played A&M. So that was mm-hmm. kind of like on my list. We're going to go play A&M. And then I go back and I'm in my swing. And, you know, so that's what it was. But my senior year there is whenever we really started to take off. We won or went to the first bowl game and I think it was like five or six years. Had a winning record for the first time in a long time. Um, mm. So, I mean, that was awesome. Sean Coogler was a coach with the Steelers. So he, um, he put, I mean, he had a bunch of connections with the NFL um, and that's whenever they came out, started getting some attention and uh, did really well during my pro day. So that's, you know, you play, you go to the bowl game and then once you're done, you pretty much go into, senior bowls so i got invited to the nflpa bowl game um ended up winning the starting job there did pretty well there and then uh did really well at my pro day but i think the key was there were 32 scouts at the a&m pro day so i had i still had good relationships with people at a&m um, or good enough that they let me go in and throw the guys and and i think that's kind of what kind of blew it out the water i think whenever i went in i was the 48th ranked quarterback and then by the time that whole process was over, I was the 13th ranked quarterback. That whole process, is, it, it, it's really like a span of four, three or four months, but mm-hmm. it feels like a whole year, just like your nonstop training. So do you think uh, do you think the way that you responded to losing the starting spot to Johnny, um, and so you kind of turned it around into a positive ultimately, mm-hmm. do you think that's why you were able to go throw at a and Yes. I think it's that plus how I treated people when I was there. Now, and the way I left, too. I mean, it was pretty much like, Coach, I appreciate your time. I appreciate y'all. Uh, but, I mean, I, I need to go bet on myself. And, and the coaches were all like, you know, they were pretty much, um, hey, we we agree. You need to be starting somewhere. And mm. they helped me out the whole way. Um, 
really from from the coaching staff on up to the uh, athletic director who I had just met, but I had developed a pretty decent relationship with him. And then even the the staff, I mean, they, they went in and coaching staff, they kind of do some research basically of like, you know, should we let this guy transfer or not? Um, and there were no bad reports there. So I think the way I treated people eventually, you know, pay dividends like, mm. you know, over in the future. And um, and based on my experience uh, of, of knowing you and knowing people around you, you have continued to treat people that way. Yeah, try to. I, th- I think that's crucial. I mean, people are real, real quick to get uh, in their own head or, or let their ego take control. Like, hey, man, I've, I've like you said, like this was your plan since you were 12 years old, mm-hmm. four years and then and then pro. Yep. Um, and I think people could learn a lot by hearing about that. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's like at a foundational level, probably more scared it'll get back to my mom if I'm history. <laughs> so it might be one of those things, but I mean, it, I mean, it helps. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I mean, if you treat people well, people will treat you well. And, and I think that's really a good example of it where I don't like asking for favors, but whenever I do go back and ask for favors, it, it doesn't feel weird because I know there was no like past, mm. you know, blow up. I didn't blow up on anybody. There's, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. Um, and I think that's also why it was so hard to leave is because it's like, man, this, I did step for step everything that you're supposed to do, work hard, show up, you know, do well, perform well, whenever your numbers call it, all that stuff. And it didn't work out, but mm. doing all that stuff also paid, you know, two years down the road. So, well, you can get, um, and, and I bet you have a ton of stories. I know I have a ton of stories about people. They get caught in that sense of entitlement. Oh yeah. Right. Like, Hey, I, I did my time. I, I did a, B and C just like I was supposed to do a, B and C. Where's my prize. Mm-hmm. Right. And people, you see it in business and in sales and entrepreneurship all the dang time. Mm-hmm. People will get so mad that they didn't get what they feel like they deserve. They will burn that bridge. They'll say yep. something rude to a prospect or a client mm-hmm. and they'll lose a gig and they'll burn their reputation in that space permanently. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that speaks volumes for you. Um, okay. So college a pro. Mm-hmm. How'd that go? Cause I, I don't, I'm, I'm a UFC guy yeah. and I like watching college football and that's it. I don't know yeah. anything about it, any of this, man. So, so the first day I walked in, this is like one of my core memories is like, I remember, uh, it was at Valley ranch, which honestly I was shocked that the locker room wasn't, it was basically like an Ikea stand of like, it was like in the middle of this room what? and they have like curtains connecting each, each section of lockers. And you just walk into the curtain. That's like the locker room. And I was like, okay, well this kind of, I had a better one at UTEP, but me walk in and you see like, hey, your locker's over there. You're like looking for your number. I don't know. It feels like, um, I felt like the freshman year again where you're just like, you have like all your stuff that's all too big and you're like walking and you're like, oh man, that's Des Bryant. That's like, oh man, that's, that's Jason Witten. There goes, oh, that's Tony mm-hmm. Romo. You know, the guys he played with on Madden mm-hmm. and it was kind of cool, but then I had to quickly like snap my, no, you're here too. Like that's why you have a locker right next to Des or you have a locker right next to Tony. You know what I mean? So it was like a like imposter syndrome but then i had to snap into it of like no i earned this mm-hmm. uh, and i was undrafted free agent so there was still some earning left to do uh to do but it was uh, it was cool it was cool but then once you step out you go into a rookie mini camp and pretty much everybody's as lost as i mean we're all like collectively lost together you know and it's like you see all those clips of uh John Gruden, where he's like, you know, saying this long, drawn out play, and then the, the quarterback has no clue what he said. He's like, Oh, was oh, that uh, Chris Sims? Yeah, it was Chris Sims. Yeah. I, I posted it the other day where it was like, <laughs> Man, I got PTSD from that because you have grown men looking 
and they're like trying to worry about their position. Like, wait, am I the, the X or am I the Z? And you're like doing all these motions. And they're looking at you. Yeah, looking at yeah. you. Everybody's looking at you, grown man. And then you have like the coach yelling at you, like the play. It's like 382. It's like 372. And you're saying the wrong thing. And it's yeah. just like, I, okay, and they're like, take a, take a breath. Take a breath, you know. Mm. So uh, w- once you get the playbook down, it gets a little bit easier. But the the speed of the game where it's like, I mean, the windows are like, milliseconds so if you're mm. not throwing the ball on that back foot like you do one hitch that's a pick six you know whereas you can get away with it in college if you have a strong arm or you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's just like levels. those little yeah it's there's there's levels to the little things pretty much but uh yeah it was a culture shock it was humbling um exciting it was like all everything pretty much mm-hmm. um it was it was it was a fun time though man i'm true so i'm trying to process uh being in a locker room with um I mean, everyone in the country knows those people that you name. If you don't, you've been living under a rock for the last 15 years. But, you know, I just watched um, Tony Romo clips just the other day, just some of the amazing stuff that he did on the field. Mm -hmm. You know, um, he's underrated, by the way. 100% underrated. You have some people like, dude, he's like, I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't even know if you can grip a football. Yeah. Yeah. Do one pull up, sir, and then come (laughs) talk to me about about uh overrated um because your beer belly is the size of a beach ball exactly. but uh <laughs> i'm sorry that's not appropriate this is a business podcast oh, yeah, let's yeah, be yeah. professional here what am i talking about we're people <laughs> <laughs> um okay so how long did it take you to uh earn, earn your spot on the cowboys well that's it would probably be in terms of i, I never let's see I made the squad, but I was mm-hmm. I was a bubble guy. So I was practice squad, and then I'd be brought up, and then cut, brought up, cut, cut from the practice squad, brought back on the team. I mean, I was probably cut at least, I'd say, three times a year. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, so you – I was never comf- I was never in a comfortable position. So mm-hmm. I, I played quarterback my whole first year. Honestly, was I struggled the whole time. I struggled a lot with protections, you know, whenever, like when to make changes at the lines, things like that. And then um, my second year is whenever I felt like I had a really good camp as a quarterback. Now, on the practice squad, whenever you're your practice squad player, you're pretty much – if they need a spot filled, like whether you play running back, whatever it is, if they need a linebacker filled, you play linebacker. So you're just mm. – look at the cards, run what's on the card. So I would go play safety. Um, and, I, you know, I'm like having fun with it. I'm like, oh, this is fun. I'm in the NFL and I'm like faking like I'm a – Sean Taylor or something, you know what I mean? Mm. So I was like back there and I ended up catching a couple of picks in practice one day. And I remember uh, one of my teammates, uh, Bryce Butler was like, you might want to stop doing good at safety. What do you mean? Like, they, <laughs> might, they might move you. And I'm like, they're not moving me to safety. I'm a 230 pound quarterback. I'm, I don't mm. know the last time I played defense, you know? And that's what ended up happening. Once we went to the star, I remember I, I brought my um, breakfast up to the QB room and uh, Coach Linehan at the time, he was offensive coordinator at the time, was like, hey, Coach Garrett wants to see you. I'm like, I don't even need breakfast. I'm about to get cut, you know? So it was one of those <laughs> things where I'm like, all right, cool. I go see Coach Garrett, and he's like, hey, you know, you've been doing really well at safety. Um, you know, I think we're going to move you to safety. And I laughed at him. And, and you know, it's one of those things where you're, like, laughing. You're like, <laughs> and he's like, brains. straight face. And I'm like, oh, you're serious. And he's like, yeah. He's like, Coach Linehan already knows you're not quarterback anymore. Just go ahead and go to the defensive meetings from here on out. And I was like – uh, okay, cool. So mm. I go there. Um, everybody's like, what are you doing here? Like this special teams is over. And I was going to special teams meetings and I was like, no, I'm, I'm a safety, you know, and everybody's laughing at me and I'm like, no, I'm a safety for real. <laughs> Cause Jackson's in the back. He's like, no, he is come sit by me and I'll, you know, I'll try to run you through everything. And I'm like, the hell is going on? 
you know, so did that, um, got a blue Jersey, took my white Jersey off and went to uh special or not special teams, but it was a uh, individual drills. And I probably almost got wrapped though in my seven minute individual <laughs> drills. Cause quarterbacks shuffle through the bags, you know, just kind of throw the ball to, you know, um, one of the equipment guys, mm. yeah, but safe. I mean, uh, when I was playing safety DBs, I mean, you're like backpedaling, sprinting, running across the field, high, uh, high point in the ball, things like that. And I'm like, it wasn't even a full seven minutes, honestly. It was so, like five and so a half and I was done. For, for someone who, um, I know what that is because I did oh, CrossFit okay. for a while. But yeah. So what is what is Rabdo? Rabdo is basically whenever your your kidneys almost shut down, essentially, right? So you get like yeah. a lot of like lactic acid buildup. And, for, from extreme overexertion. Yes. Um, and just punishing your body. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I was like getting, they were like, hey, all right, now we got special teams. You got to go full speed. And I'm going like all the reps and special teams. And I was like, I can't even stand up. So I remember at the end of practice one day, I, I was like bent over in, like, in the middle of the field. I'm the free safety. And I'm like mm -hmm. looking at the ground about to throw up. And they snap the ball. And I just get up. And I'm like running backwards, <laughs> tag off. And I'm like, I'm done. I went in the locker room and laid down for like an hour and a half until meetings. It was <laughs> it was tough. It was That was a tough transition for me. Well, that's uh, one of the next questions I was going to ask you is what was that transition like? But you kind of covered it. But it sounds like um, – much more physical, obviously. Oh my gosh, yeah. So, what was the difference mentally um, in that transition? Mentally, it, during the transition, it was just I got to stay in shape and prove enough, like that I'm that I'm improving enough to stay on the team. You mm -hmm. know that this wasn't a, a a bad decision. I get cut, you know, next week or whatever. But it was from a cerebral standpoint. Quarterback is it's a lot harder. Uh, physically, safety is a lot harder, obviously. But mm. for me, the things that stumped me were like the instincts. I just, I never, I didn't develop the instincts that some of the DBs had, you know, the guys that get drafted. Mm. Um, so whenever, you know, for example, I'm, I'm going to blitz the D gap. So I'm blitzing on the outside of the tight end, but if he goes in motion, I need to go. Now I'm filling the gap in like in the A gap. Mm. So now I'm like, now I'm basically taking the place of a linebacker because everybody shifts over in responsibility. So things like that, that happened when the ball was snapped, it was so hard for me to see because and on the offense, you know what you're doing. On the defense, you're reacting to what the offense is mm -hmm. doing. So you might have a play going into it, but your responsibility changes just based off of one person motioning on the snap of the ball. So it's, and, and your peers on the field on the D squad have been doing that since they were 12. Yeah, right? you know those guys. I mean, they recognize. Yeah, because typically, if you're a DB, you can't catch, so you've probably played DB your whole life. There's never a time that you were. I mean, you know, unless you're just a freak athlete, but mm -hmm. most DBs, unless you're Deion Sanders, right? Yes, so freak athletes. Yeah, <laughs> guys that are like <laughs> generational. Yeah. Talents, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Uh, those guys just develop a different type of uh, instinct, you know, mm -hmm. to react into the ball. Uh, and that's, you know, teammates kind of played a part in like me even be able to catch on and, and mm -hmm. sticking as long as I did. Got a lot of help. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, so you had some teammates who were like, I'm not, man, you're on your own. You know, this is the pros, you know, get mm -hmm. with it or get lost. Um, but I had a teammate, Kayvon Frazier, and then uh, Brandon Carr. So he, Brandon Carr, we call him the uh, Iron Horse. I want to say 14 years in the league and never missed a game due to injury, oh, which wow. is unheard of. That's unheard of. I mean, I was on a practice squad and I sprained my ankle a couple of times. You know what I mean? So it's like. <laughs> I think I sprained my ankle just walking in the studio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, Hit that little step. Yeah. Um, but they helped a bunch. They were like, hey, come do this. Come to my DB guy, you know, on the weekends or in the summer and work with us. You know, so I mean, that stuff definitely helped because I don't know what I was doing. Like, Backpedal. Yeah. Last time I backpedaled was like eighth grade before then. So. <laughs> so you how how many years were you doing that? Playing safety, so I did two years as a quarterback or two seasons, and then uh, 
safety was three. So five years you mm-hmm. you were, I mean, you were, you were gracious and, and talked about getting cut and being on the bubble. Yeah. I'm going to pretend that I know what being on the bubble means. So five years all in. Yeah. Five years all in with the Cowboys, which is, yeah, that was a, that was a blessing because whole family's from Texas. So, I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay. So what was that transition like from the Cowboys into what we'll just call civilian life? That was tough. Um, so it was, I had gone to make a tackle versus the Bucks in preseason, strained my hamstring. So I basically had six weeks where I was like trying to get back. And then right at mm. the six week mark, I had two or three teams. I can't remember which ones they were, were interested in bringing me in for a workout. And then I just did one. I was basically to, to get clearance. I had to do one final just sprint for, I don't know, it was like 25 seconds or something like that on the treadmill. Um, and uh, strain, I restrained it. So that was kind of the, the tough part where I was like, man, that's, you know, that's another f- at least four weeks. You know, we're already six weeks into the season. Uh, so those teams didn't call back. And then that was right on like leading into um, leading into COVID. Uh. So basically everything was shutting down. There was there were no bites. I talked to my agent. He was like, hey, uh, your only route is probably going to be going CFL. But with this new virus that's coming, we don't even know if anybody's going to be able to travel or anything like that. So it was kind of a. It was a weird time, and we were pregnant with our first, or my first daughter, our first daughter, and uh, I was like, and I don't, I really don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and it was right into a shutdown. So she was born on February, I want to say three weeks later. The whole world shuts down. Mm. Um, I'm calling old coaches that are in the NFL. I was like, hey, I'm going to get into strength and conditioning. Um, try to do it that way. You were looking for anything, or just that's pretty much you. I, I was going to stick with what I knew because that was going to be the easiest route. Um, you know, I had obviously with new daughter i was like i, I gotta provide um so mm. uh i, I was like I, I don't play well in the cold so i was like canada is absolutely not an option i just had a daughter i'm not traveling that far and it's canada it's yeah it's canada. you know yeah so it's not the nfl <laughs> so i was like maybe there's a little bit of pride there too i don't know but um it was one of those things where i don't know i'll go back to it just saying like the lord just shuts a bunch of doors and you know mm. you look back and it's like i'm glad he did all that but they're like, hey, we don't know what this variant or this virus is going to do. So nobody's hiring. Nobody's bringing in people for workouts. You got to, you know, get tested three times before you have workouts. So I pretty much was like, I'm, let me just go get my real estate license because that's the only other thing besides football that I think I'd be interested in. Mm-hmm. End up getting my real estate license uh, online. And um, on the back end of all of that, my roommate from college actually at uh, A&M, Clay Honeycutt, hits me. He's like, hey, I'm, I do medical device sales. I love it. Um, we have an opening on the, uh, some managerial position. So you'd be a manager. You'd be on, on my team. So me and you would be working together um, if you want to do that. And his sister, um, who were, you know, we're all really good friends. I mean, they're basically, I mean, they're family. Um, she also worked there. She'd been working there for, I think, six years at the time. And was like, you know, this is familiar. I have familiar faces. So let me just go try that. And that's kind of how I got into the medical device world. But I don't want to say it was depressing. Um, I don't want to use that term lightly. But it definitely was a challenge for me because it was the first time my whole identity was stripped away. Didn't know what I was going to do. First time I didn't have a plan. Then I'm stepping into something that I'm not known for and I'm not good at. That was something that I was very curious about. Like, so essentially, like, okay, so I'll just I'll just tell you what a civilian would 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 think. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh my god, this guy played for the Cowboys. That's yeah. amazing. Like, I've been watching this team every Sunday for as long as I can remember. In their eyes, you would be elite, right? It's mm-hmm. it's a prestigious role, and mm-hmm. to go from there to 
a regular civilian job slinging medical devices mm-hmm. like that had to be um, really hard to cope with and deal with. So yeah. can you talk about challenges you faced and mm-hmm. maybe how you overcame that? Yeah. yeah. If you did, I don't want to assume yeah. anything. Right? I, well, I think I did. I'm working on it at least. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so getting into that role, your whole life as an athlete is on the schedule. So you're told, hey, meetings are at 7.30, breakfast starts at 6.30. You need to have eaten, been dressed, and worked out by then. You know, and then after that, it's like scheduled out all the way up until the time you leave. And you know what the schedule is. They give you a schedule. They email you a schedule. So my whole life was scheduled. And I'm, I've always, like, thought of myself as a kind of, like, go-with-the-flow guy. But mm-hmm. getting into the real world, I was like, I'm definitely not. I absolutely need structure. So mm-hmm. stepping into that role, now I'm like, they're, they're taking the qualities of what it takes to be a good quarterback or a, a good football player. And they're like, all right, just apply it to this. And I'm like, so I don't even know what this is. You know, so it's like, <laughs> I don't know how to track analytics. I don't know how to lead people in, in the real world. I think, honestly, the one thing that came to mind or that I realized at first is it's not a locker room and people are very sensitive. And in, in yeah, in the, in the real world, because it's like I remember I made a joke with somebody who's on the same level as me in terms of like we're, we're both managers i was supposed to do something um i guess i did it the wrong way or it was like a different format or something and i was just like okay i don't know we we're sensitive like that you know and did it to me that was just sarcasm like a joke and you know come to find out it was like hey you can't talk to people like that mm-hmm. it was a joke you know so that i was like okay so maybe i need to tone it down some you know in terms yeah. of being sarcastic and making jokes and just you know kind of just do my work i guess um but i didn't know anything about business luckily my boss he hates when I call him that, but my boss is a absolute machine. He's a CEO of another company now, but he really challenged me to create my own structure because essentially we kind of ran different territories. So he was like, I want you to build your business or your territory, like how you would run your business. And I'm like, I don't know how to run a business. Mm-hmm. So with the help of him and my, my buddy Clay, I mean, they pretty much were like, Hey, I do this. I do this. This works for me. So it was, it was really more of, I'd probably say a full year, almost a year and a half, honestly of just trial and error, what works for me, what doesn't work for me, um, and and kind of just time blocking. I would say for my first three months, I was sitting there, they're doing work, and I'm like refreshing my email every five minutes. So I'm like, I <laughs> what, what, what do, do I do? Hey, I have no clue what to time do. Time blocking is amazing, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's, so that's, that's a secret. Yeah. Those those are the struggles where it's just like, it it sounds so simple to people who, who are in it and have been in it their whole lives, but it's like the basic, like how do I do a job in the professional world? Mm-hmm. And it was like not being good at that. And then also having talks of like, Hey, this, we see you're struggling. Like, you know, how, how can we help you? I'm like, I don't know. So that part is frustrating. Mm-hmm. I remember I was getting pissed, you know, just in conversations. Cause I'm like, man, I, I don't even know what I don't know. So that it was, it was like a, just a slap in the face for me is like, I've been gr- like really good at football my whole life. And now I'm doing this thing. And then people are like, you know, what the heck's going on with this dude? You know, we mm-hmm. thought it was going to turn out to this and it didn't. And it's like, so the expectations of people, expectations of myself didn't breach any of those. And that was tough for me. So you said something I think is very wise. You, you, you recognize that you didn't know what you didn't know. So mm-hmm. what was your process outside of your mentorship and mm-hmm. people who helped you to, to go on about finding success within that space? Uh, YouTube university. So <laughs> I don't go just find like business, you know, guys who, who are really successful in business and just see what works for them. So, I mean, I was trying stuff like the time blocking is the one that, that stuck, but there was like a, it's like a Japanese technique where you like set an alarm for 25 minutes. So you're efficient for 25 minutes. And then for mm-hmm. five minutes, you're like taking a break. Cause I don't know if I'd 
short attention span or what. I don't know. I'm going to blame it on phones and social media, but it's like I can do something and I just lose it. Like the attention span just like fizzles off and I start. I'm like, I can be typing something and thinking of something completely different in my head that has nothing to do with work. So it was like really making sure I'm concentrating on, on things, but then also too making sure that what I'm doing actually means something. So mm. I'm working on things that, that move the dial versus just busy work. Cause I can respond to emails all day, you know, shoot out text messages. Hey, do you need anything? And, and from the outside looking in, I'm busy and I'm doing stuff, but none of it actually moves a dial. So You're busy for the sake of being busy. Exactly. It's like, um, income producing activity. Like yes. Things that you do that's going to put money in your bank account. Yeah. Which translates really well to real estate. So 100%. Yeah. So you mentioned 25 minutes of focus. I think I've read a bunch of studies mm -hmm. that 20 to 25 minutes is, if people are being honest, that's actually the maximum that people can have intense focus. Oh, yeah. uh, people can watch a movie, but they're also checking their phone mm -hmm. and sit through lunch. But if, if people are going to be honest with themselves, I use the same trick, mm -hmm. uh, 20 minutes and I'll set like a timer for five, five or 10 minutes to okay. go check my emails or go read an article real quick. But 20 minutes is my, my rule too. Yeah. So um, so you're doing the medical device, uh, management stuff. So how did you transition from that into real estate? There were a few things that for me, the industry wasn't for me. I'll just put it that way to sum it all up. But the reason it wasn't is I'm really big on like family time. Mm -hmm. My girls are two and three years old now. So I just, mm -hmm. with that job, you're so, you're so busy. It's pretty much because there were three of us trying to run a whole territory. We were, we were from San Angelo all the way to East Texas down in Tyler and it's just a really big territory a lot to manage um, for our category we were on the road quite a bit so it was pretty much I would say from September of my last year doing it all the way up until April it was almost every day we were out of the house by 7 6 37 before my girls get up and then I would get home you know some days don't last as long uh but before during this time, we were pretty much getting home at like four or five o'clock. So that's like an hour and a half of, of bath time that I get to see my girls. And uh, it just wasn't, it wasn't, I was like, no, I'm not doing this. Not for a long time. At that age, I mean, they were t tiny and that's yeah. very formative years. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, those are crucial years in their development. But then also too, I mean, that's whenever they're like, they want me around, you know, I mean, as they get older, they're going to be <laughs> more about friends and going and doing yeah. and stuff. So by the time they're, I read a study by the time a kid's, 18 years old, 93% yep. of, of your time is, yeah. is done. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And so can I, can I give you my perspective? Go ahead. So it seems like you're still trying to struggle to find your spot, right? Like yes. you're okay. Basically a professional athlete in structured athletics since I was 12, tried medical device sales, um, supervision. Mm -hmm. Where do I fit in this space? Right. So, and then you realize that that doesn't, the medical device stuff didn't work because mm -hmm. you need to be at home and you're obviously very religious. You're a family man. Mm -hmm. So walk me through the steps. How did you, how did you land on real estate? Oh, so real estate has always been in the back of my mind. Um, cause you did get your license for real yes. estate. Yeah, yeah. And then it expired, but I found myself looking, I don't know, just like looking at homes, looking into people's like investment properties to learn, uh, listening to a bunch of real estate podcasts. And I was like, that's kind of what I used to do when I was little with football. I would just go watch highlight tapes of Steve McNair and, you know, all these guys. And uh, I was like, okay, well, it kind of, it's, it's mirroring the way I used to, you know, think about football. Mm -hmm. um, 
we had tried a couple of like kind of just kind of like side hustles. I don't want to say side, but side hustles pretty much. And I was like, this, this isn't it. I'm just kind of like burning the candle at both ends at this point. Um, and real estate was just always in the back of my mind. So I told, we had gone to Europe. I told my wife, it was just a good break because it was right on the back end of a really busy season. And I was like, well, let's just pray about it. But I think I want to get into real estate. So I prayed about it. Um, there were no reserves from her, no reserves from me. Uh, and then I had the conversation with my boss it was just like, hey, I think I want to get into real estate. And they were like, man, go do what you need to do. Like, mm-hmm. this is this industry isn't for everybody. They know it, you know, uh, they're like, but if if that's what you feel like you need to do for you and your family, by all means, go. Because like, they care. It, it's Pilot Medical. It's a distributor of Arthrex. And they care way more about the person than they do about the industry, which is a good thing. It's rare too. Very That's rare. And it's un, a culture is one of the best cultures I've ever been around. But if it was a, if it was a real estate, um, brokerage, I would absolutely have stayed there probably mm-hmm. for a life. You know what I mean? But this is one of those things they were, they were fully understanding and it was just through prayer and talking through things with my wife. And, uh, luckily football played a part in that where we had enough savings to where it's, you know, the six month gap didn't scare me. So just went ahead and made that jump. And it, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes back to like the UTEP why I went to Utah was just betting on myself pretty mm-hmm. much. So that's awesome. Okay. So what's going on now? Are you, are you, you're the number one person in Texas and real estate? And if you look at Instagram, probably, but <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually in the, in the middle of, uh, closing my first deal. Um, so 90 days in, I set myself like 90 days in, I want to just try to do open houses, uh, connect with people, just network best I can and and see if that works. And then after 90 days, I'll reevaluate if I don't have anything and try a different tactic. And it's worked so far. So you got your first deal in under 90 days in real estate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Under 90 deals. That's yeah. Amazing. That's very rare. That's good. It makes me feel better about it. I was like, um, <laughs> and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, we can edit it out if you don't want to, but did you source the client deal yourself? No a referral. So we got a, uh, we got a, um, duplex in my hometown um the the agent that helped us find that is with compass Mm -hmm. so she got hit up through a lady in miami saying that they have she has really good friends that are moving to texas and she's like hey i know you're close to fort worth she's like no i'm nowhere near it but i did help um this person who is now with compass so i'm gonna refer you to him so it was just a referral and nice yeah that's what laura's doing for sure yeah that oh 100 i I couldn't agree more so there seems to be a recurring thing with you that I find impressive and and your attitude and resilience. So, so I wrote down attitude, resilience, um, imposter syndrome, adapting. And then it seems like from the time that Johnny Manziel came into the picture, maybe even before that, you've been fighting for your space mm. as a professional in whatever yeah. you landed. Mm. And so that's gotta be stressful. So, how do you have that mindset every day to like, I'm going to go earn my place, whether it's real estate, football, whatever. Um, is it intentional? Mm-hmm. Do you, do you have to think about it in the mornings? Do you have to set your space? How do you go about that? Oh, that's, that's a tough. heavy question. It is. Yeah. Uh, I would say it's evolved over time. Um, but I will say too one of, one of the best quotes, I cannot remember who told me, but it was whenever I was transferring, um, somebody called me in to their office and he was like a team counselor and he was there for like three months and then went and I got another job. But he told me this quote and it's, I can't remember where he got it from. But this was at A&M before, at A&M. before you te- yeah, University A&M. of Texas El Paso. There you go. It's the quote is 
adversity is the stone upon which I sharpen my blade. Mm. And it has always stuck with me because it's, you're not going to get to a place of success until you go through adversity. I mean, mm. I, I don't know one person that has, is in a, in a place of success that didn't have a business fail, a deal fall through, uh, something happened with family during you know, a critical time in their business or whatever it is. Everybody has gone through adversity and typically the way you succeed is how you respond to that. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's, I mean, it's really learning the lessons in the failures that, that are the stepping stones to success. And, and I mean, that's an everyday thing. I mean, there, I, there's adversity every day. I mean, there's, there's going to be traffic. Oh, I'm running late to this thing. Oh, my client canceled. I mean, there's, there's adversity all over, but just looking back at my hometown in Colleen, a lot of the people who stayed there and whenever I get on Facebook, they have like a victim's mentality are typically the ones who went through adversity and they use that as an excuse to not press on essentially. I, dude, I could not agree with you more. I, so I have this, these Marines that I served with that we were in ambush alley together and everything bad that has happened to them since then mm-hmm. is because of that, where some of the people, um, have channeled that adversity and that extreme hardship into achieving great things in life. I know people who uh, own multi, multi million dollar companies, mm-hmm. people who who make half a million dollars a year who become pillars in their community. Um, and then I also know, know people who, you know, haven't made more than $15 an hour since they got out of the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. And you have, you have two interrupt me if I get on my soapbox, but I strongly believe in this. You have two, pathways in life and one is to respond to adversity positively or to let it keep you down Mm -hmm. and one of the one of the things that i i uh i admire about you is every time that that adversity has kind of really pushed you out of the picture you found a way back in the picture Mm -hmm. and uh, i'm excited to see kind of where you take the real estate thing and when you apply the professional athletic work ethic Mm -hmm. and discipline into that space you're, you're, you're going to do amazing things. And I firmly believe that. Right. And, um, you know, a lot of real estate agents, um, and I do have experience in the space, but a lot of real estate agents think that being a good realtor is posting a funny reel mm-hmm. or hosting an open house. But in reality, it's developing mutual trust between you and your clients. Mm-hmm. And someone, I think with your background, your ethics and your morals, um, I think you're always going to put your clients money before your money. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm, I'm just excited to see where you're going to go. No, I appreciate it. It was the, actually um, the meeting with you. Uh, we sat down for lunch. Uh, it was kind of mm-hmm. what gave me direction because, I mean, you know, like during that lunch, I was like, man, I don't like trying to build a brand. I don't really know what mm-hmm. that means. And, and you pretty much, you got to set your own standard um, and pretty much hold yourself to it. So, I mean, that's, I mean, I appreciate you telling me that too because, I mean, that's, you know, that was right on the back end of, I mean, if you get on, if you get on Instagram at all, I mean, it's a bunch of 23 year olds posting massive luxury homes. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think everybody's killing it like that in real estate, Mm-mm. especially being in it now. You know what I mean? So it's almost like, uh, what stuck with me during that meeting was ev- the industry is starving for a professional. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I want to bring to, to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously we went to Europe and, and I love the Italian style. So that kind of fits kind of fits the brain I'm trying to build anyways because I was like, man, I like those slacks. I'm, I'm dumb over the skinny jeans and all that stuff. So I need to, I need some structured, yeah. you know. I, <laughs> I don't wear like skinny jeans, man. I, I, you know. My legs are too big. I mean, mine too. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, uh, 
my my marine friends and my texas friends would absolutely roast me if if i wore skinny jeans and i'd probably never recover from it yeah uh, <laughs> mentally but um i i love the fact that your brand is professional professionalism and i think the fact that you've lived as much life as you have in such a short time frame mm-hmm. um and cuz we can all die by comparison you know i i have peers who they've already exited four companies and they're on a a yacht yeah right um some unnamed uh location but i think if you bring your professionalism into the brand or into the i think if you bring your professionalism into the space of real estate mm-hmm. without making it about you and it's it's about the client and, and about their money i it's it's just the industry is starving for that yeah and i used to tell people someone can not there's anything wrong with being a waiter but someone can be a waiter on tuesday pass an exam and tell people they're a real estate professional on wednesday and They've never bought a house. They've never made a very weighted financial decision. They don't know how to weigh the pros and cons of a heavy financial decision like that. Whereas you actually have that experience in life. Yeah. Right. So, okay. Here's a question. All right. So if someone's listening to this and you want them to take away one lesson from the adversity that you've overcome and uh, all of the barriers and mistakes and, and things that you've had to deal with in life thus far, mm-hmm. what would you want that to be? I would say to make sure that your identity is in the right place. Now, obviously, you had made a comment earlier that I was very religious. That's all ongoing and very new for me. Um, mm-hmm. But that is the one thing that has gotten me out of being stuck in those places is my identity is not wrapped up in what I do mm-hmm. or what I've done. It's in Jesus Christ alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is never, I mean, it's, it's, it doesn't ever waver. So whether mm-hmm. I get fired, whether my business falls through, um, you know, whatever happens in life, I'm, I remain the same. Mm-hmm. So if you start with that as a foundation and build from there, everything else becomes a little bit easier because your identity isn't solely tied to what you've done or what you do, mm-hmm. how much you earn, what you provide, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that, but then also too, having the confidence in yourself to just Go out and try it. A lot of people are scared to take that leap. Um, and and every single time that I have, it's paid off. Mm. Um, it's worked in my favor, whether it's whether it's the way I drew it up or not, but it's it's absolutely worked out in my favor. So identity is key and then just go do it. I, I absolutely love that. So, you know, I'm very new on my journey uh, in faith also, and I've I've found myself a couple of really solid spiritual mentors and um I participate in a, a men's Bible study every mm-hmm. Thursday at 6 a.m., rain or shine, travel. You know, I had to do it um, when I was in L.A., mm-hmm. 4, 4 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> or was it 5 a.m.? It was, it, I think we we're two hours behind in L.A. 4 a.m., yeah. It was early, and um, I was unpleasant, <laughs> but I I did it. And if yeah, you you would have told me two years ago that I'd be going to church on Sunday, reading my Bible every day, and really leaning into that aspect, I would have mm-hmm. asked you to take a drug test. Yeah. Right? Um <laughs> But I think it's crucial, whatever that version of that is for, mm-hmm. for new people, I think they really need to, young people, entrepreneurs, anyone in general, they really need yeah. to establish that. 100%. It takes me back to, to uh, um, Marines and like that's their identity. Like, man, that was 20, 15 years ago. Like, mm-hmm. Go do something else. Yeah. Right? Go go establish something. But Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, I really appreciate you coming on today. I have a complex about my body now. I need to go do some squats and maybe <laughs> diet for – 20 years or something. Um, I appreciate it. And I, I hope that people listen to this and find value.
Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you inviting me. Absolutely. This has been the Business Blind Spots podcast. We will include all of his socials in the in the show notes. So if you want to buy or sell real estate, you want to talk to him, get a hold of him, ask him questions, his contact information will be in there. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate you.